Hi, welcome to the Stay at Home School Mom podcast. My name is Mary Ellen Barrett, and I am being joined by my dear friend, Ginny Sufert. Today's episode addresses what we think is a real problem in America and American education, that too many citizens lack a basic knowledge of the world around us. And we want to talk about teaching geography. But first, before we get into that, um, if you're enjoying this podcast series, if you're getting anything out of it, we would like to encourage you to leave us one of those lovely five-star ratings. Just make friends with the five-star button because that helps us get in front of a lot of more people who are thinking about homeschooling if they put it into their search bar. And we want to encourage people to, to research it and really try homeschooling. So that would help us out a lot. And we'd also like for you to check out our main sponsor, Seton Home Study School. Their website is www.setonhome.org. Um, you can find out more about the premier Catholic homeschool. It's been around for, oh, I think over 30 years now, and they just do a great job. Ginny and I have both used the curriculum for many years. And without them, we couldn't do this because they uh, they provide all the support, which includes our wonderful engineer and producer, Jason Lowry, which who, who we never give a heads up to, but we never should. Give because... Jason a heads up, heads up, Jason. Heads up, Jason. He with us. God bless he him. Does. He has to deal with us and our technological deficiencies. <laughs> and he's just the nicest, nicest person. Um, and our friend, Jim Shanley, who writes up all our podcast notes for us. And our friend, Allison Poussin, who actually does our social media. So let's give them a little heads up and thank you to all of their great talents. Well, the first thing I'd like to do before we get into like how to teach geography is I want to scare people a little bit, to be honest with you. You know, the world is getting smaller. When I, I was thinking about this topic of my children, four of them have married immigrants. Oh, well, and yeah, well, that's that's a big four, deal. So four, four of my kids are married. One of my sons taught abroad for 10 years. So one of my son-in-laws worked abroad. Grandchildren who are like you have a very ethnically diverse family. So you have grandchildren who want to know where they came from mm -hmm. or may, maybe visit where their their relatives came from. And, and well, and certainly know something about it. And why, you know, why did you leave, Daddy? Why did you come here? Why did your family come here? Yeah. Um, the old joke. I, I went to school abroad actually for a little while, and the old joke used to be, you know, a bilingual person speaks two languages, and a trilingual person, you know, the definition is a person who speaks three languages. Unilingual, the definition is American. <laughs> <laughs> that is sadly true. Most Europeans <laughs> speak two languages. You know, they speak yeah. English oh, and many native more languages. I have. Yeah. Uh, Actually, I actually have two Dutch nieces and nephews-in-laws, if you want to call them that. And in Holland, they all, besides speaking Dutch, obviously, they also all learn English and German and French. Yeah, that's amazing to me. They probably well, start them very young. They start them young. But the other thing is, and let's be honest here, you know, we both grew up in New York. Well, if they spoke a different language in New Jersey or Connecticut, we would have True. had to learn. But True. the United yes. States is a vast country and we all speak English for the most part. Uh, so we really neglect foreign language, but this isn't about foreign language. We'll do another podcast on that sometime. Uh, this is about geography and, and civics in general. The NAEP, for those that don't know, is really called the nation's report card. And what it is, is the federal government itself sort of tests fourth graders and eighth graders. They don't sort of do it. They do do it. And to determine exactly where they are. And they've set certain proficiency levels and advanced levels, that sort of thing. Well, in 2022, only 22%, that's made basically one in five eighth graders, scored at or above proficiency, not advanced, proficiency in civics, 
scored at or above proficiency in U.S. history. Oh my gosh. I know. Proficiency is just barely average. Like that's, you have a working knowledge of something. You just need to have a proficient average. Like, you know, that, you know, Washington DC is the capital of the United States sort of thing. Statistics weren't available for the 2022 test. I looked and I couldn't find them anywhere uh, in geography. But in 2018, the last time they gave the test, about a quarter of the kids were proficient in uh, in the geography assessment. Wow. So this is these are the eighth graders we're talking about. This is really, really bad. I mean, it's horrifying. You know, Dutch kids speak four languages and our kids can't find California on a map. Yeah. I. You know what? I. You have to wonder what is actually going on in this. Well, we you see in the newspaper every day what's going on in the schools. They're not actually when you read the things that they're actually pushing for in these public schools and the ideological things and the agenda things. And I always say, well, when are they getting around to math? <laughs> when did they not? Obviously they're not getting around. <laughs> I happen to know that little statistic on the top. Well, sure. If if your kids are going to a drag queen story hour at the, at the oh, school. Dear God. Heaven well, help us. First of all, I know heaven help it, but first of all, even if it wasn't a drag, they're showing a nice movie. They're showing Pinocchio or something. Well, it's a, it's a total waste of their time. This is not why we're sending you to school for the kids to watch Pinocchio. And God knows not to see a drag queen yes. show. Yeah. Or, you know, to discuss, I don't know, gender stuff, whatever, you know, and, and nothing. It's the three R's is why you're sending them to school. And clearly people aren't teaching geography, history and civics. Like civics was a thing when I was a kid, like oh, even a little kid. I went to public school till eighth grade and then I went to private high school. But like it was part of your week. There were things you had to do. <laughs> you got homework in it. You had current events. You had to learn all about. I mean, even as a small child. And I don't think they do that anymore. Well, very little. I, you made the point when we were talking before the show that like, actually, nobody, kids don't read the newspaper anymore. Yeah. They well, they watch someplace and. People, very few people seem to subscribe to newspapers anymore. I get one here. I get, it, it's shameful to admit, but I get the New York Post because, in, which is a tabloid, but it's the oldest paper in America. Right. It was started by um, Alexander Hamilton, but it leans conservative. Um, most of the papers in New York, as you would expect, are liberal. And and the Long Island um, one is called Newsday. My husband will not have it in the house. He just won't have it in the house. <laughs> You have to worry about that. Not to sound classy, but I get the Wall Street Journal, which is, but that Wall Street Journal is interesting. Its editorial page is somewhat conservative, hmm. but it's um, the um, the news itself, which very often these come from news services, is not particularly conservative. No, yeah, well, because they're getting it from AP and and all those other things. So. And a- but people so, look I mean, at their news on Twitter now, like they get a headline or something. And so they'll say, you know, there was a battle in Afghanistan or there was an evacuation in Iraq and there's no map accompanying it. Whereas in a, in a newspaper, you might have a map. Um, right, so they Iraq, have no conception. Some of our kids know, right? <laughs> they have no idea. Well, anyhow, we just gave the horrible figures for um, eighth grade and they were pretty horrible. Let's face it. But now let's talk about college students. These kids should be certainly advanced in um, in basic knowledge of the world. If you're well, going you would to think so, but now you're scaring me. <laughs> just wait. If you think you're scared now, are you ready? So now Iraq and Afghanistan certainly have been in the news since September 11th. Yeah. So they've been in the news for over 20 years. Daily, pretty much daily. 
daily. That's correct. Absolutely. And, you know, we all heard about like the, the horrible uh, American withdrawal from Afghanistan. This is all over the news. So two professors from Kent State in Ohio did a survey of college students. 30% of college students, this was in two, uh, 2012, when Iraq and Afghanistan were in the news every day, right? Thought that Baghdad was the capital of Afghanistan. Good Lord. Ba Baghdad is actually the capital of Iraq and Afghanistan is yeah. the capital of forces Kabul. Um, now, Africa, they're even worse on Africa. They're bad, they're bad on things that are in the paper every day. 6% uh, thought that Nairobi was the capital of Africa. Oh, dear Lord. They didn't Africa's know Africa was a continent. <laughs> no, they didn't know Africa was a continent. They thought that Nairobi, they'd heard of Nairobi, which is, the, by the way, the capital of Kenya. Uh, they they thought that Africa was like one big country and had a capital. Every so often you'll get uh, uh, somebody that goes around with the, the uh, microphone making Americans look like idiots. And they'll say, who was the first man to land on the sun? Oh, yeah, I've seen that. And, yeah. and somebody's like, oh, I know, Neil Armstrong. <laughs> <laughs> Jay Leno used to do that. And um, that Waters guy from um, Jesse from Waters. Yeah. Yes. He sends people out every so often. And they ask, like, who fought in the Civil War? And, and they can't, like, they can't, that the French and the Mexico British. Mexico and America. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. nobody's, it's just horrifying. It's funny, but it's not funny. It's not at all funny. No, it's not. Well, one in five in this survey thought that Budapest was the capital of India. Budapest, by the way, is in Hungary, which is in Europe. The capital of India is New Delhi. Oh, and 12%, this, this one, wait, this one is really going to blow your mind. 12%, so we're talking almost one in 10, uh, thought that Mount Everest was in the Appalachians. I, I'm stunned. That stunned silence. I mean, holy cow. I mean, I didn't realize things were because that bad. College students. Mount Everest was one in the Appalachians. didn't know that Mount Everest was in the Himalayas. They thought Mount, I mean... I can see maybe not knowing the exact country, but knowing it wasn't in America, I think is key. Maybe it might be in West Virginia, <laughs> for example. That could be a, that is so bad. I mean, we're, oh. we're raising, well, you could say ignoramuses, but I, I thought years and years ago when they were putting in new standards in the schools, uh, I remember thinking, and I'd heard it from somebody far smarter than I, that um, what we're looking to do is raise useful idiots. That's what Vladimir Lenin used to call people that were just educated enough to to work and pay their taxes and vote the way people tell them to. I, and, it's it's frightening. It really is frightening. And I I, I want to make clear that I don't think that it's not the children's fault. It's it's not the teachers' fault. There is a an agenda coming down from the Department of Education and various local levels that just makes this makes these terrible decisions about what's going to be taught in your schools or, not taught. or yeah. not taught. I mean, they're just terrible decisions. And then these poor people go to school board meetings and try to get, you know, actual curriculum and are labeled terrorists and <laughs> arrested and things like that. So I don't think it's the student's fault. And I don't think it's teacher's fault. I think anybody who goes into teaching and, and one of my kids did um, has noble ideals and wants very much to help. But this is just... This is just unconscionable, what's going on in these schools. Of course, our schools of education also are kind of indoctrinating our future teachers mm -hmm. that what your kids really need absolutely. to discuss in second grade is not phonics, it's their gender identity. Right, I, it, absolutely. absolutely. So absolutely. We, get an aw we get an awful lot of that. But this is something that we really have to think. Mary Ellen and I have been pretty honest about our assessment of the public school system, which is it should be sort of disbanded and let parents get their own money and you know, take take their voucher to the school of their choice, which could be their local public school. 
It's sure. a big country. There could be some very, very fine public schools, but the system as it exists now is horrible. Right. And serves very few people as those statistics just show us. Um, so, you know, those are, those are kind of statistics that I got online, but I want our listeners to kind of think about things. I want them to think about their own home. How many of us parents, not our kids, could take a blank map of the U.S. and correctly label each state? Now, that was a thing when I was in school, so I could do it. I might mix up one or two of the middle states now because I'm old and my brain is shrinking. But And I know all the state capitals, and I know a lot of the European country capitals and probably most of Asia. Africa was different sure, I, when I was a kid. Like I remember I had a country in Nebraska, and I remembered that her legislature was unicameral. They only have one house in the Nebraska legislature. Oh. And I must have learned that 65 years ago. Or something. I didn't know that. There you go. I didn't know that. They're the, they're the only one. Uh, you know, the world is getting a whole lot smaller. Um, it is. It is. The internet has done that and and fast travel has done that. You know, like I and say, immigration. Of my kids are married to immigrants. Yes. So it, it's really <laughs> kind of imperative that your children have an awareness of the world around them and and what's going on in that world. But at least be able to point out things on a map and know that Africa is not a country. It's a continent. It's a continent. It is, in fact, a continent. That's right. And has many countries in it. And you should be able to name at least some of them. A couple of them. And you know what else this this bothers me? It's that this, to me, shows that people don't read widely. Because even if you weren't presented with a lot of maps as a a child or in school, if you're somebody who reads a lot of books, you're going to pick up on some geography. You know, if you read adventure stories or you read... like. I just think reading, even if it's fiction, even historic fiction, you're going to get a sense of where things are in the world, you know, if you read widely. So not only are they not being taught geography, nobody's encouraging people to read books a lot. Read and sort of look up stuff. Like, for example, yeah. uh, years ago, there was this great movie with Katherine Hepburn and Humphrey Bogart called The African Queen. Oh, such a good movie. Wasn't oh. that a great movie? It's it's, it's, it's an old but a goodie, I have to tell you. But it's about a couple who didn't know each other, and they're they're going down the Nile River to Lake Victoria, which, by the way, for those of us that know geography, the source of the Nile River is Lake Victoria. That's where the Nile River begins. Uh, Look it up on a map. Where is the Nile River? Do you know? Do you know? I think most people might know that that's in Egypt. Do you know where? Do you know where Lake Victoria is, and what countries surround it? I know it's that curiosity. Like sometimes I'll be watching something, um, and this is actually relevant. Last night I was watching how the states got their shape. That show it's on the History okay. Channel. I, I get it on the the Story Channel, um, and it's a very interesting show. And I, I hesitate to recommend TV um, because so many people have different kind of ideas of what TV should be. But this is a pretty good one. And there was something about German immigration into like the the upper mid state. So like Minnesota and all that kind of sure. stuff. And it affected in Wisconsin. Yes. It affected the accents. The, the the theme of the show was the different accents of the different regions of the United Minnesota. States. <laughs> right. That's and actually the, for the Scandinavian. <laughs> right. It's that long kind of, and what was funny about it is that Long Island has other than Southern states, which everybody, the Southern region is has that wonderful drawl. I just think it's it's so charming. But Long Island 
is the most well-known accent in the United States. Like people can pick you out because it's- People know if you're from Long Island. Yeah, (laughs) because you forget that the Brooklyn Bridge wasn't built until the late 1800s. So it was an isolated island. And there are isolated islands around the United States, like in in South Carolina and Georgia, there's Gullah is spoken. And it's a dialect that's part African and part um, other languages. And it's isolated. So people still speak Gullah on these islands. And I they had a gentleman speaking and I couldn't understand a word he said. Um, right. So uh, Long Island was isolated for so long that we have we have our own kind of unique accent, which yeah. was interesting. So, anyway, so I was looking stuff up like the Germans. Speak German are, at home. But I was curious about this. So I was kind of looking it up and Googling it. Right. Even if you get, it's a lack of curiosity too. That's a little disturbing. Like nobody's curious about how that started or when that happened or where that is or something to know. So for example, the one son that I had, he lived abroad for 10 years. He taught English to foreign students and he was thinking of moving to a different country. There are some countries like you can't have a beer. (laughs) Don't move there. (laughs) It's not really safe to go out. The one place that they were talking about, I don't want to say which country it was, but they said, you know, it's difficult for people to have a social life there. So once a week, they bus the teachers in this private school to like a place where they can socialize with other people sort of stuff. Oh, heavens. Well, you'd have to know enough, though, about the world in general mm-hmm. that countries in a particular region might not be quite as free as the United States. Right. This is this is important information. If you want to be a well-rounded person, if you want to be a person who travels, like a lot of kids, you'll say to them, what do you want to do after college? Oh, I want to travel. Everybody wants to travel, but they kind of want to go to France. They really have to know what countries you need shots to get into and things like that. And and a lot of our kids, as I say, my one son taught abroad for many, many years. One of my son-in-laws worked for uh, an international corporation. He's actually two of my son-in-laws now that I think of it, worked for international corporations and they lived abroad for American companies, or I think they were American companies. So this is more likely than ever before for to affect our children. They have to have a vague knowledge. Like if your company wants to send you to South Sudan, maybe you shouldn't go right now. Right. You should, you should know, you should have a vague idea of what that is and what's going on there. So it's, it's geography and it's current events, current events, civics, whatever you want to call it. Right. And right now, which I think is sort of interesting, only about 17 states require any geography study at all during high school. Less than half. Less than half. That's less than kind half of crazy. Have any geography study? But wait a minute, it gets even worse. Only six states require a standalone geography course. So wow. Seton has a geography course that you take. I, I think, yes. I think it's a half credit. I'm, I don't. Remember. I think it's a half credit. Yeah. But you have yeah, to it's a half credit. My kids book. took it. Yeah. You get a geography book, and you have to study your geography book, and you have to study all the continents and the countries that are in those continents. Yeah, and there's a lot of social studies in that book because um, there's a lot of like how people live in different cultures, which I always find interesting. Yeah. I find it fascinating. But even in the United States, like I live in Kentucky right now, there is a huge difference between Eastern Kentucky, which is the Appalachians, and central Kentucky, which, you know, you have like Lexington with the horses and all that. I live in the hill country in western Kentucky. When you and I were kids, we learned about New York State. New York State has two mountain ranges, the Catskills and, and the, um, why did it go right in my mind? What's the one up north? <laughs> oh, um... <laughs> where Lake George is. Come on. Adirondacks. The Adirondacks. Adirondacks. It was like on my tongue. Gosh, we look I like know. idiots well, now. You know, this, is, this happens to me all the time. 
But those are kind of important things to know. That if you're driving through New York State, you might see a mountain, for example. Yes. Well, New York is huge. People tend to think of New York as Manhattan and maybe Long Island and maybe, you know, maybe Westchester. But New York right. is huge. It goes right up to Canada. It's an enormous state. It is an enormous state. So uh, most states, so I said only six require a standalone high school course where you learn just geography. Many, many states sort of add it to a course. Mm -hmm. And this is what's happened really, and I can remember years and years ago when I was a kid in school, that's how old I am, we studied history and we studied geography. They were two separate courses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. And then maybe by the time I was in fourth or fifth grade, we had social studies. Right. Yes. That's how they kind of put you, it led into that, I guess. So it was like history, geography, current events, civics, government, all that sort of stuff became one course. And I remember at the time and, and years afterwards, people saying, well, now they learn about nothing, really. <laughs> it all became so diluted. And now we have a case where I would be willing, I don't know many kids that you could hand them a map of the U.S. and they'd get more than half the states. Right. Well, I, I do think that homeschoolers are better at that. But I think it can be overwhelming because you're so concerned with teaching math and reading and and then you find that the day is ending or you, you're just done for the day and you haven't fit in all of those things. And let's face it, the kids enjoy map skills. Sure. My kids always did. Map skills book. And they, they have value, certainly. The kids are learning the various. You have to know what a mountain is before yeah. you can discuss the fact that there's mountains, you know, in West Virginia. But the, but map skills are sort of fun for the kids. Whereas learning, you know, being able to memorize where each state is and its capital and its and its major product or something, that can be a little bit tougher. Um, so it is easy for a homeschool mom to say, okay, honey, just do your map skills. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think this is a good time to take a break. But when we come back, what we're going to do is talk about how to teach geography and make it a little bit less onerous and how to fit it into your day a little bit better. But first, we're going to hear a word from our sponsor. We're really grateful for all of our sponsors here on the podcast. And why don't you stop for a second and hear this message and we will be right back. It's great. I think my seat in education really gave me a lot of the truth, um, but it was cool to go into an area where you could dialogue with other people and kind of pursue the truth in a different way than just then receiving it. To learn not only in the class how to be good or, or what is good, <laughs> um, but then to also learn outside the class, learning from, from learning through relationship. I've grown so much as an individual because I can engage not only with the text we read in class, but anything I encounter in the world, I am able to say, okay, uh, this is Hegel talking. I can figure out how to find the truth with people who don't even really know how to dialogue well um, because I've been taught so well how to dialogue in the classroom and outside of the classroom with, with sparring with friends. I'm Anthony Klein, a Seton Home Study School graduate and a junior here at Belmont Abbey's Honors College. The Honors College at Belmont Abbey. To learn more, visit www.bac.edu honors. So we are back and thank you to our sponsor. We are really, really grateful for them. We are talking about geography and how um, how to get it into your homeschool and the lack of it that is just existing in our country these days in education in general. So let's talk about how do we teach geography? How do we get it into 
our day? How do we get the kids interested in this? Jen, what do you think? Well, for the first obvious thing is just to use maps in your daily life. So mm-hmm. a lot of us now have, I have like that little um, Apple screen on your on your on your car and it shows the map where you're going so you can talk about that we're going over river look and see if you see a sign what's the name of the river that we're going over sort of thing uh so you can do things like that use direction words in your speech uh i i joke that my family lives up north and they are a lot colder than i am here down south so those types of things can be uh very useful um you can get i think a really easy thing to do say you're going to go to the zoo. You're going to go to the Bronx Zoo with your kids. You can get a map of the Bronx Zoo. You can get one online or you can get a paper map when you get there and talk to the kids and say, let's plan our route, which is another geography word. Right. Let's plan our route. Where, what are we going to see? And the kids will sort of get an idea of direction. Uh, Sometimes you can, you're better off saying, oh, well, you know, the the gorilla cage is North. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If you take a family vacation, you know those rest stops along the interstate highways? Yeah, you can get those. They, they, they're folded up in racks usually, right? Those free maps yep. of, of where you are. Maps. They have free maps and you know, get, the, get a couple of them and let the kids follow along. Let yeah. the kids get a map before you go someplace and let the kids like put a red crayon on. We're, we're going to take, go leave from New York and we're going to take Route 80 out to Chicago and then we're going to take Route 94 up to Milwaukee sort of stuff. Yeah, I think think traveling really does. I when my kids were little, we used to because we're big into road trips. My husband loves nothing more than to pile all of the children in the car and take them off to places. So to keep the um, are we there yet kind of nonsense down, (laughs) and the you know because they bicker and it's a long time in the car. We used to go to Georgia all the time, which at the time was like a seventeen-hour drive for us. So I would make notebooks like um, those flexible three-ring binders that you get in the dollar store. And Mm -hmm. I would print out maps of the different states we were going through and like the license plate bingo thing and like a couple of coloring pages of the different things in the states. Like when we went to Maine, I had moose and beavers and all that kind of stuff. And I would hand it to them with colored pencils and lap desks and say, here, you know, just do this. And it would keep them busy. So as they were traveling, they would say, oh, where are we now? And they'd fill out in their little map. Yeah, and it helped. Like they learned how to read a map. Well, it does. The when I think back when I was a kid, of course, we didn't have anything like that. But we used to play a game because everything took a long time. And those <laughs> days, there weren't as many interstates in those days. It yeah. was. We had an I had an uncle that lived in Syracuse, and from Yonkers to Syracuse used to take like eight hours. Okay. And that was maybe a four hour drive before yeah. the interstate. You know, you had to take ferries before they built the bridges across rivers and stuff. Yeah, my dad used to talk about he was stationed at um, Fort Bragg in North Carolina. He was in the 82nd Airborne in the um, in the late 50s, early 60s, and there was no I-95. Right. So was no in some points, he was riding on dirt roads yep. to get to where he had to be when he would come home for like a weekend leave. Another really interesting thing that your kids can learn about is the interstate highway system. It's sometimes called the Eisenhower Highway System because Eisenhower was the one who uh, who directed it during his uh, administration, directed its building. And the reason that we have it, or one reason that we have it, is Eisenhower was um, commander-in-chief of the European Theater of Operations. And he was incredibly impressed by the Autobahn in Germany. Oh. This high-speed highway where, that had exits and entrance ramps that you couldn't just, you know, there was no red light. You didn't just make a turn on it. Uh, there was that. It, he also realized that um, 
And in those days in World War II, we did the same thing. If we were sending our troops from New York, for example, to go to California to depart for the Pacific Theater of Operations, they were on a train. Right. Yeah. There was no way to get there. Well, the thing with the trains is if you bomb the railroads, then there's no way you can take a train offline and just or for off road and just sort of drive around where it was bombed. But you can do that on a highway. Yeah. So he uh, also in the 1950s, everything was, you know, the Cold War and the bomb. Mm. Well, they drop a bomb on a major city. How do we evacuate people? Right. See how much history is behind all of these decisions. It's really oh, very interesting. Interesting. I'm really and truly interesting. So, you know, when you talk about interstate highways, for example, and why we have them, what's the difference between a U.S. highway and an interstate highway? The answer, by the way, is the the ramps. Yeah. That US highway, yeah, U.S. highways, you can make a left, <laughs> whereas you can get on and off a, a ramp on an interstate. Uh, but do your kids know that? Have they even thought about that? They might not. Well, they did do all those map skills books, so they probably do. You know, what were the the ones Seton had? They were Continental Press. Was that, am I thinking of the right yes. thing? Yeah, that's yes. And they they really enjoyed those map skills book. But map skills and geography are kind of two different things too. Right. We should distinguish that. So learning how to read a map isn't the same as learning like all the countries in Europe. But on the other hand, when, for example, we were kids, we didn't do license plate bingo, but we would look for different license plates that my mother just wanted to keep us busy so we weren't driving her nuts. Uh, you know, and I see one from New Jersey and it's white with, you know, blue, blue letters or something. Mm-hmm. Well, a kid in New York would see a lot of Jersey plates. Sure. So even without knowing, you'd kind of know, well, Jersey must be awfully close or Connecticut must be awful close. Right. You wouldn't see any Alaskan plates sort of thing. And every yeah. so often you would see a plate from a different state, but it was so rare to see a, a plate from Kansas for the sake state. Right. Point. It was a big deal if you saw something from the Midwest or out West or something and like that. You told people. Yeah. And and maybe if you saw a lot of Illinois plates and you said, wow, mom, Illinois must be close to New York too. Well, no, not really. It's just that there has a big major city and a lot of people from Illinois come to uh, New York for business. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that just even silly things like you learn the names of the states, if nothing else. Right. Yeah. And sometimes the little, uh, you know, the the nicknames like the Sunshine State you see on a Florida the plate, or the Empire State and right. things like that. You you tend to see that. And that's kind of fun to learn. Kids, it's kids like that kind of thing. For kids to know that there is such a place as Kansas. You know, I have a copy. My One of my kids gave it to me. There's a famous cover from New Yorker magazine that shows like Manhattan. Oh, I love that picture. River. New Jersey, rest of the country. <laughs> and then California. It's like all those, they call them flyover states. You know, but the New premise York, is that New York and California are the only things that matter, which is not true, but it's kind of but a but There is that of a sort cool of thing. attitude. I mean, really, yeah. when I was a kid, people from Brooklyn didn't go into the Bronx. I mean, <laughs> you just kind of lived in your own little world. And it's it, the world has gotten a lot smaller. So we want our kids to know these places exist. Right. And maybe if they are interested because they saw a Kentucky license plate, well, find a book about Kentucky, get a map of Kentucky, talk about the history of Kentucky. So all of those things, just that general every day we talk about these things can make an immense difference. Uh, But also really displaying maps in your home. I find that to be so successful in teaching. And I, I did a weird thing. I know y'all are going to be shocked. Um, For the longest time, I had a shower curtain that was in the kids' bathroom, the clear shower curtain that was a map of the world. Oh, that's hilarious. I mean, it was like 40 bucks on Amazon or something. And and they learned it. Then I switched it to the periodic table of elements, like when they got older. But 
And then I, in my dining room. You don't room, believe in wasting time in your kid's life. I don't. When they, you know, <laughs> where they sit in the bathroom, <laughs> there was a poster with history facts in front of it. <laughs> You're going to be sitting there a few minutes. You may as well learn something. <laughs> so, but the I in my dining room, which is where I've done the homeschooling for probably the last 10 years, I had a, just a big wall map in there. And it wasn't the prettiest thing in the world. I mean, it, my dining room for many years just was not pretty because it was a it was a working homeschool room. But every time we had company or had a party, everybody would gather around the map and just look at the map. And I thought it was so funny. People are attracted to maps. They like people, to look at you things. can get um, placemats. For the kids. Yeah, those were great when the kids were better maps. Had those, those we had a lot of those. I have to admit, we didn't have the bathroom maps, but we did have place maps. Jenny, they're going to be in there a little while. They may as well learn something. They may as well learn something <laughs> while they're there. Uh, you know, you could certainly hang maps, you know, in your classroom, obviously. The walls of the kids' rooms. Yep. And yep. have world maps, national. You could have a map of your state. Right. Do your kids know much about their state? And like, like the joke, of course, in New York, again, is five counties of New York City sort of determine the whole everything about New York. But New York has a lot of major cities. Yeah, they All do. The they place. do. And there's a huge amount. There's a lot of Catholic history in New York, too. And that's, there is. that's yeah, there's a lot. And Why the North American Martyrs is in New York. I know in New York, um, in fourth grade, we're required to have them study their state. Now, that's probably true in most states that at some point and in Seton's curriculum in the eighth grade now, they they're required to do a state study and have do a project at the end of it. Um, and it's just very valuable. So knowing the geography of your own state is a good thing. And coming back to the maps hanging up, I got one of the kids um, who travels a lot, one of those scratch off maps. So it's very pretty. It's black and it has the state, um, I'm sorry, the countries all outlined in gold. And when you travel somewhere, you you scratch it off like a like a lottery ticket and it's gold oh. underneath. And it's pretty and it looks nice and that it gives them an interest. Like wherever we go in the United States, they scratch off a state. So those are kind of that's a cool I got it um, for two of them who travel a lot for Christmas. Yeah, no, th look, those types of ideas I think are great. And just if you're talking about a battle in the Civil War or, um, I don't know, the march towards Atlanta, whatever. And you could just go, see, that happened there. That's Manassas, Virginia. That's where the battle was, that type mm -hmm. of thing. Yeah. Uh, I think so because in kids' minds, when you talk about a battle, for example, uh, or Jamestown, Virginia, you know, one of the first settlements in, in the uh, North American continent by Europeans, Jamestown could be on the moon. Right. Yeah. It could be Mars. They have no idea until they have you, no idea. Yeah. Until you really like look at it and so see, we live orient here. it. And, you know, Jamestown is there. And the reason that they came to Jamestown is because they were coming from Europe, which is here. Mm -hmm. And they crossed the ocean and they landed here, you know, to give your to give your kids ideas. And there's no substitute for having maps. There just maps and books sometimes are good, but the, if you have it on the wall, the map in the book, they're going to see when they're studying that page in the textbook. Hmm. Yeah. So, and they might see it and understand it, but you want them to be able to, to relate to it, to a map on a daily basis. So that you have to have them around. You have to have them in your house. Globes are another thing. Oh, yeah. You should. Uh, that's kind of an essential thing. Maps and globes are an essential thing for your homeschool. They're worth whatever investment you make. And and you can find them inexpensively. I actually found a really pretty globe on eBay a million years ago. Yeah, it was it was something I couldn't have afforded in a store, but on eBay, and it was it was very pretty, and it was 
you know, eBay is expensive now, but I, it was, you can find them. You can find sales. You look, you can find stuff. There's no question about it. Yeah. Sometimes you'll get something like that in a thrift shop. Yeah. We wanted to get rid of her globe and she donated it to Vincent DePaul or something. Um, So anyhow, certainly maps, globes, that's all over your house. The other thing is, and Mary Ellen touched on this a little bit before, you know, when you read about a place, it awakens your interest. Right. Yeah, now, it's absolutely When true. I was a kid, it was uh, National Geographic. And of course, when we were kids, we'd look because some of those people did not dress the way we did. <laughs> right. Yes, there was oh always that interest. <laughs> my mother would stop looking at that. Um, <laughs> but you did learn, you did learn when they say people in the United States are African-American. What does that mean? Where is Africa? What do people in Africa look like? Do they look like African-Americans here? What do they dress like? What is their culture like? What is their culture the same as their culture? These are the types of things that kids can get from geography type magazines. Uh, I've seen a couple of National Geographic kids. The ones I saw were not bad. I don't like to recommend anything these days. Right, yeah, because you never know. But that I've seen them and uh, I used to subscribe to that. And they seem fine. They seem fine. Uh, But fictional literature also, if you go to any public library in the United States, they, they usually will have stories of like biographies of, of famous Americans that come from different parts of the countries. They'll have uh, stories of kids that lived in different countries all over the world. Mm-hmm. There's lots of children's literature. I'm a big fan of Gloria Whalen. She wrote a lot about um, this, Russia and the start of the Soviet Union. And then another book about kids taking a train and t- to try to find their parents who had been uh, exiled to Siberia. There's also a series um, my daughter's really enjoyed, the Royal Royal Diaries. And it was fiction, and it's written for probably, I don't know, third to sixth graders, where it was, um, a, they would pick different um, royal princesses and queens and and publish their diary. So it was fiction, but it was, you know, based on fact. And and they just found that fascinating to read the diary of, you know, Mary, Queen of Scots or, so you know, Cleopatra or something like that. It was really cool. So, now, a word of warning here. <laughs> as we have to do this, uh, you have to be a little bit careful. I My, yes. my favorite story about this, there was a woman years ago, I'm going to say her name was Wilma Rudolph, and she was a um, an Olympic runner. Oh, right. Yes. 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 Uh, a wonderful runner. If Her backstory was so cool. She came from this immense family. They were poor as could be down South. They were a poor Black family down South in Jim Crow years. And she had had polio as a kid. And it was basically her parents and her brothers and sisters who did her therapy because they had no money for therapy. And I'm sure they lived nowhere near where there would have been a therapist. And she became an Olympic runner. I mean, what a story. But I thought, well, let me make sure because she had had a baby before she got married. Uh So I just wanted to look and make sure that they didn't. I mean, my kids know that went on, or at least they did by then. I wanted to make sure they didn't go into too much detail about how that happened, which they did not. The book was okay. You know, it was sort of like she stayed at the prom too long or something. But then they had this whole thing about, and in those days, you know, parents didn't give their kids contraceptive pills as they do now. And they really, you know, the kids, I know, right? Really? Is that necessary? I know. I know. So it took this incredibly inspiring story and blamed her parents. Who had, by the way, made sure that she wasn't crippled for life. I mean, it was so you have to, I I have to give you a word of warning about it. Uh, Generally speaking, if you find a book published before 1970, you're going to be safe. Right. Yeah. You have to be careful. We always recommend that parents pre read or ask somebody who's read it, whose opinion you trust. You trust, by the way, not necessarily the librarian. 
Right. Yeah. The librarian is, is, has a different agenda than you do. Um, and there are a few, um, there are a few websites where you can check these things, some Christian websites. Yeah. Um, Dr. Dobson used to have one family, something family. I, if you Google Research it, you'll find Council, it. I believe they yes. Will. Yeah. Um, if we, if we can, we'll put it in the show notes. Um, you can check movies and books there, but really be um, vigilant in protecting your children's innocence. And you would think that uh, that kind of a story, a biography of a woman who overcame so many things and accomplished so much. Great family. Why do you insert that in there? You I can know, make so, it a pro-life story, but no, no, we have to do that. Jeez. <laughs> I know. So it was, no, we, you do have to be careful. On the other hand, though, um, most libraries do have, in fact, Seton has a, um, a, a reading list on their website. I met, I wouldn't be, and anybody can get it. You don't have to be an enrolled Seton parent. Uh, I would imagine some of the other homeschools do. Mother of Divine Grace does, I know. I would imagine Colby does, and I, I would imagine they I don't know, do. I haven't checked yeah. them out, but I wouldn't be surprised to hear that. I remember one time I had, Seton's actually uh, comes in our lesson plan, so it's a printed page. And I took it to the library to find some books. And I remember the librarian saying, well, there's nothing here that's been published, you know, Reason that this doesn't deal with current topics, and I'm there, right? Yes, thank God. <laughs> yes. Current topics, you got that one right, honey. So look at that. But certainly, there are books. Um, sometimes just in the geography section, it'll show the kids really cool pictures. Yeah, of, or India. I mean, these countries they seem very exotic to us, but something like that will really open up your kids' minds and will will maybe make them a little bit more curious to learn more about it. Right. They have those big like coffee table books almost and nobody can afford them. I mean, they're a fortune. So you go to the library and you see these beautiful pictures of different places and different landscapes and different people doing different things in different cultures. And and that's very good for children to broaden their horizons that way. It is. And really interesting for them. Yeah. Yeah. That captures their interest. The other thing is I, I thought first we'll find online games that teach geography. The one that I used with my grandkids was called Lizard Point. And basically it would give you a map of Northern Africa and you have to be able to identify, you know, and they'll say, find Algeria, find Egypt, whatever. Um, there, I'm sure there's more. I'm very backward when it comes to anything online. But there are also, my one grandson was, uh, his mother really wanted him to learn more about geography. And she found a game game. You yeah. Know, game is a box. They do have those too. Yeah, we played, um, my kids loved, uh, what was it called? See, this is what happens when you get old people. <laughs> Just It was like United States of America, but it was like a bingo cane kind of a thing. If I think yeah. of it, if I can find it, I will put it in the show notes. And it was just, it was an inexpensive little game. It was almost like a card game and they loved it. And that's how they learned all the states. Really, yeah. I didn't really have to sit down and say, we're going to learn the states. We just played this game. Like on a Friday afternoon, I would do I would do math games and um, geography games and all kinds of little game learning games. But they didn't know they were learning anything (laughs) on Friday afternoons. They just thought, oh, mom's fun. Bingo. So those those types of things, they're fun. Uh, Mary Ellen already mentioned in the car, if you can get something that like is can travel with you when you're traveling. Even if you're just spending an hour and a half in the car to go visit grandma. I mean. Oh, anything. Those- it, it, try to avoid turning on the screens. Like all the cars have screens now or the, everybody brings an iPad everywhere. Um, and my kids are old enough now where that wasn't so available. I, I had a portable DVD player um, Me too. That, that I would get if I was if they were desperate. You know, we'd put on a nice movie if, if it, you know, because we took long, long car trips. Um, there's only so many card games you can play. But 
if you're doing that kind of like hour, two hour thing to see grandma or go to a party or something, a card game or a learning game without turning on the screen, it just encourages their imagination. It's just a better way to go, I think. The window. I mean, see a path, <laughs> see, see a pasture. Yeah, I mean, this is a little off topic, but it's okay for your kids to be a little bored once in a while. <laughs> It'd be good for them. I, I, I think I, I did a lot of road trips this spring. I'm sorry to say, because I really hate driving, but it was so beautiful. Yeah. Spring in the United States, and you're and that's an Eastern red bud, and that's a dogwood. And those are, uh, this is inter, those are calorie pears, which are now being outlawed in many states. Wow. Huh. Because they're they're invasive, and you'll they're see invasive, my yeah. ways with nothing but calorie pears down the side. So those types of things are really interesting for your kids and let them see the difference between, you know, a mountain and a, and a prairie. Like uh, we lived in Chicago for many years and we drive from New York where we came from. And Pennsylvania is very pretty. It's like sort of oh, mountainous. Sure. Then you get to Ohio and Ugh. it's flat. It's flat. I've driven through Ohio once and it was just the most, no offense, Ohioans, but it was so boring. Indiana too. I mean, it's just, you know, you drive on Route 80 through Indiana and Ohio and getting into Illinois and it's so boring. It's just, yeah, it's nothing. That's all it is. But, but your kids should know what the prairie is. And yeah. if, if you drive in that flat, boring cornfield, they'll realize, well, this is what we talk about. When we talk about the prairie, when we talk about, you know, America's breadbasket, this is the place we're talking about. Yeah. You know, so even that, that's really important. Um, the other thing is we talked about map skills books a little bit, but some of them teach uh, geography at the same time. Right. Yes. Um, Seton has a new kind of uh, series coming out. Like they've published a few of them and it's the same thing. It's it, there's map skills and there's geography in it. Um, which ones have been published? Jenny? Do you know? Do you remember? Uh, first, second, and I think fourth and fifth have already come out. Okay. Yeah. And those are very handy books. Continental Press, I, I think during COVID, they, they stopped publishing their books. I don't but... know if they publish anymore. The problem, what you can see with a lot of map skills book is they'll talk about a product map. Now that's a useful thing. Kids have to know what a product map is and what it sure. means. But then they'll pick like a random place and you'll look at a product map of Kansas or something. And then you're going to learn about historical map and they'll just pick, I don't know, France or something. <laughs> <laughs> It, 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 it it's, they're sort of random places that don't tie things together. So if it's possible, when you're picking a map skills book, try to make sure that it actually includes geography, that uh, you want something at least, at the very least, you want your kids to know the oceans, you want the continents, the countries, the regions in some sort of an organized fashion. Yeah. They have to know that Africa doesn't have a capital because it's a blessed continent. It's not a country. Right. Yeah. And it, if it's an organized fashion, it's easier to teach and it's easier to learn. There's a, there's a continuity to it. So that makes it just much easier. Um, yeah. When we were learning about the regions, when my kids were pretty small, we did lap books. So we used the Continental Press books kind of as a spine. The kids liked the books. Um, they would finish them way earlier than than the whole school year. Too. They just enjoyed those books. And it was an easy thing to to give them when I had to go throw a load of laundry in or nurse the baby or something. But um, I would also, I divided for a few years, I divided the country into the different regions Um and we would do a lap book for each one and we would look things up and we would put maps in it and and all kinds of stuff. I mean, I probably ended up at the end of it with like 10 or 15 of these map lap lap books. That's hard to say map lap books. <laughs> but um, we also did we did history in it, we did civics in it, we did we made it very patriotic, that kind of thing. And it was a fun thing for them to do. And they learned the country that way. They they know all the state capitals, they know 
all of that kind of stuff. And then I'd reward them with the Animaniacs um, State Capitol song, which is funny, which you can find on YouTube. <laughs> it's really funny. It's cute. Um, there are, by the way, I should get that out. There are, you can Google like songs to teach countries in Africa and they yeah. do have that. Yeah. And that's, a, your kids. you know, we've said this before, music is a great way to learn things when you put something to a cute so Otherwise, piece. how many of you, when you when you're trying to put something in alphabetical order, go A B C D E F. We all do that <laughs> in a, your B, head. You do that. Nobody admits it, it but we all do it. <laughs> you're five years old, you know, you're still going A B C D. So, the, so the, those types of things you can find. There's lots of fun, but try to look for stuff that doesn't just just teach the map skill, but also teaches locations in an orderly and organized fashion. And then, and I think you were talking a little bit about your lap books. But let your kids make maps in general. Yes. And that can be like make a map of your bed. Assign that for a second or third beta. Make a, make a map of your bedroom. Not that much stuff in your bedroom. You have, you know, show them how to where the window is, how to show that, and how where the bed is and where the bread dresser is. And um, you could even have them make maps of fictional things where they're using north and south and using all the kind of cardinal sure. directions and stuff like that. So make a map of Middle Earth. Or you know, make a map of you know whatever something they're reading, or or trace make a map of, a, of a town you'd want to live in. What would right. be in that town, and where would you put it? That's a lot of fun for a kid. Um, it really is. Or make a like trace Laura Ingalls' route. You know, the the, the route across the prairie, or something right. that they're reading. Make it a little bit interesting for them. Um, that could be a lot of fun to make up your own place. You know, and, I and actually have bet some of them right. do it beautifully. Don't laugh at me. I have a map I'm making because I live in a, I have a very large piece of property and I have a vegetable garden and I don't want to forget what I planted where. So I have a map of my vegetable garden. I can tell you which row the leeks are in. Yeah. That's, that's actually really handy. Those gardening journals where you put your map in there. So, you know, yeah. next year, what you planted and like where it what worked did out, well, what didn't work out. Yeah, absolutely. So you can make it, you can have your kids do that. They can make, make a map of mommy's vegetable garden or make a map of mommy's flower garden. Yeah. So we can see, you know, what worked out this year. Well, the marigolds didn't grow very well. Maybe they didn't get enough light, that sort of stuff. But you could do that. Um, teach kids making their own maps also. So say you get a blank map of the world for the sake of argument. And you can find all this stuff online and print it up easily. Yeah, there's a book called Uncle Josh's Maps Books, which is an, an entire book of just blank maps of all the countries in the world, of all the states individually. They even have some ancient maps in there. It's just blank maps. You just print um, this stuff up. Yeah. In your scanner. But what you can do, though, so for example, uh, around second grade, they should really know their oceans and their continents by second or third grade. They really sure. should. And have them make their own map key. Right? Maybe write the names of the continents for the younger kids on the bottom of the map, put a little blank box, and they have to fill in, you know, blue there and then they have to color north america blue right yeah very simple easy way for them to learn it yep. and they're doing a little project and you can you can walk away for a minute and help the fourth grader with something while they're coloring in their map and making their colors and their keys and all that kind of stuff and who cares if it's in the lines perfectly but they're learning they're learning and like i, I th there's a lot of talk in homeschooling and maybe we should do a topic about this one you know a podcast about this is my child a visual learner or an auditory learner or a mm -hmm. kinesthetic learner the fact is we all learn best with a multi-sensory approach sure we see it we talk about it so you know it's coming out of our mouths we hear what other people are saying about it and we do something with our muscles right 
the approach that that is probably the best way to learn is a multi-sensory approach. I'm an auditory learner. There's not a question in my mind that I learn by listening. See, I learn by I'm, seeing. I'm I'm a I'm a visual learner. I can't I have, a, I have to picture, I have to see it. I can't picture it in my head. I have to look at it. I have a son-in-law who's almost spooky. He'll look at something on a computer screen and then he knows it. Like he has like so he's a visual learner, clearly. But um, in my case, I can remember driving many times with the kids and telling them they have to be quiet now because I can't see where I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> my nana used to say, wait, I can't, I don't have my glasses on. I can't hear you. <laughs> yeah, right. you know, the, the fact is that I'm so distracted by outside noises that mm -hmm. really does not allow me to learn. If I hear a lot uh, at mass, everybody can, you know, people complain about this. I don't like this. I don't like the handshakes. I don't like this. I don't like that about the mass. The thing that I dislike the most, which was in the old mass too, is right after the consecration when we um, we have to uh, do the proclamation of faith. I don't want to think about that. I want to think about our Lord Jesus Christ. And I can't, or if they, they play a hymn, I can't concentrate on, you know, I'm trying to give thanks for, for receiving Holy Communion and receiving our Lord. And then they break in with a hymn. <laughs> they will do it too. Every, every parish does break it. So we all learn, we all learn in a multi-sensory approach. So let your kids see maps, talk about maps, right? Let them tell you something about a map and let them make their own maps. Judiciously expose them a little bit to, to newspaper articles about different places in the world. And you can do that in a very gentle way. You don't have to always be talking about war. There are pleasant articles out there about different things. Pleasant um, articles about yeah. And, and, you know, as they get older, Holland. you can talk about tulips in Holland. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, a, a gardening thing or, you know, go to the, the nicer parts of the paper, but expose them to those kinds of current events where they're learning about what's not only what's going on, but where it's going on and how it affects the rest of the world or the rest of the region and things like that. These are really important connections and contexts to have as they get older. And they're taking these these uh, silly tests <laughs> because context is very important in, in a lot of these texts. It is. And they've discovered uh, when they take standardized tests, very often what they're billed at is that children should be able to read a paragraph or two paragraphs or whatever and be able to answer the questions based solely on the text. They call it close reading within the four corners of the text. But they have found without a doubt that kids that have a broader context that know what they're getting into will do a whole lot better. Sure. And you want and that just, for them. You, do, yeah. you want them to be able to do well on these ACTs and SATs and things um, to get the scholarship money, if nothing else. And you just kind of reminded me when you were talking about, you know, uh, uh, how these things are interrelated. I went to Canada one time at a homeschool conference and it was in the spring and the tulips, it was in the capital in Ottawa. It was so beautiful. There were just tulips everywhere. And I said to one of the locals, I said, my goodness, this place is gorgeous. All these tulips. She said, the Dutch people we're, in those days, maybe they still do it. We're sending tulips to the Canadians to thank them for liberating them from the Nazis. Holy cow! What a nice thing! How cool! That's really neat. I had no idea about them. I, I just, I just thought they had a lot of pretty tulips in Ottawa. But no, apparently the Dutch people in those days were—they still may be—were sending tulips to thank the Canadians. Oh. We're liberating them from the Nazis. Isn't that a beautiful story? That is a beautiful thing. And speaking of sending, one other one other nice way that we did um, geography, American geography, um, when the kids were little, we had, um, this was before Facebook, we had an email group of homeschooling mothers that was, you know, all over the country. And right. we had the kids send postcards to each other, state postcards. Yeah, that's so a great 
if you're in a Facebook group um, where there's lots of people from different areas of the country, even different areas of the world, it might not be a bad idea to organize that, you know, to say, let's send postcards. And um, just so you can see, like postcards come sometimes with maps on them or, you know, something regional. And it was so much fun. I mean, we got tons of mail. You have a big building in it. You can say, well, where is this building? Right. Yeah. I did a lot of the um, Empire State Building and the Be- Long Island's known for the, we have some of the most beautiful beaches. So some beach ones. Right. And then you put a little fact on it and, and you send it around. And the kids got a ton of mail for weeks and weeks and they loved it. It was so cool. I could see where that really would be cool. That's a great idea. So as you can see, there's loads of ways of teaching geography to your kids. Some of them involve actual book learning, but a lot of them are just much more informal and fun and something that your kids will be interested in. But here's the thing. However you do it, you have to teach your children geography. Yeah, world, however you decide. It's, it's And it's an ongoing thing. So, you know, get as much as you can in every year and make it as fun as you can because it really is an interesting thing. The world is a beautiful place. God gifted us with an extraordinary amount of beauty. Why not expose it to them? Expose yeah. them to it. I am having a lot of trouble talking today. I don't know why. <laughs> Anyhow, God bless you and your families. We want to thank our sponsor uh, of this podcast and our primary sponsor, Seton Home Study School. And we really want to thank our listeners. Mary Ellen and I kind of look at each other and say, wow, a lot of people are actually listening to this. We're shocked. We, we are no shocked. <laughs> We're, we're shocked and incredibly grateful. Yes. Uh, but if uh, you have found any value in this, please, as we've told you before, like and subscribe to us and give us that beautiful five-star rating. God bless you and your families. God bless you. See you next Wednesday. And now we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Seton Home Study School. Seton Home Study School is a nationally accredited, faithfully Catholic, private distant learning school that serves students from pre-K through 12th grade. There are currently 17,000 homeschool students enrolled in Seton Home Study School and many, many more who use their books and materials, including several small Catholic schools. Since 1983, Seton Home Study School has faithfully served the homeschool community in the United States and all over the world. Please check out their website, Seton Home org for more information. And thank you, Seton Home Study School, for sponsoring the podcast, The Stay-at-Home Schooling Moms.